You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Hi folks and welcome to Let's Talk Apple episode 38, the show for October 2016 and I'm your host Bart Bouchotts. Joining me today I have a fabulous panel stretching both sides of the Atlantic Ocean. Um, from my uh, eastern side I'm joined by the wonderful Gazmaz from the United Kingdom. Hi Gaz. Hello, how are you uh, this fine dark evening? I'm fine but it's gotten sodding cold. <laughs> Yeah, it has actually. We had a frost here for the first time uh, this morning. So yeah, just into November, and we've seen our first frost. So uh, mind you, I am I'm fairly south in the country. So I, north, I know it's Northampton I live, but actually we're we're you know we're actually probably in the middle. So all those up north of us are going, yeah, you're southern southern softy. What what are you? You've only just got a frost. We've been having them for weeks. So uh, yeah, yes, it is winter. Anyway, um, from somewhere, I think in California, in the United United States of America, we are joined by Victor Cahillo. Hi, Victor. Hey, Bart. Yes, Southern California for me. Yeah, so no frost then. <laughs> Absolutely no frost. <laughs> Absolutely no frost. Okay. And also, I think from somewhere in the greater California area, we're also joined by Linda Goucher. Hi, Linda. Hello, Bart. Yes, uh, Northern California, actually San Jose, in the heart of Silicon Valley, and we do not have frost, but we did have the heat turned on today for the first time. <gasps> oh, no. So. <laughs> so there you go. Okay, so the weather is behaving appropriately for the start of November, end of October sort of time. Well, we have a whole October's worth of Apple news to talk about, and uh, quite a bit went on, actually, particularly in the last week of October, that's when all the news seemed to bunch together. Um, before we get into our big stories, there were some notable numbers that caught my eye. Um, iOS 10 adoption is definitely over 50%, uh, and that was true at the start of the month. Um, Apple's own numbers were putting it at 54%, but numbers from Mixpanel were putting it up to 67%, which is basically high or very high. Um, so I guess it's good to see Apple's new tech continuing to roll out at a fast pace. Yep. Probably not much more we can say about that, really, is there, other than long may it continue. I have a quick, hopefully quick question about it, though. Um, I understand this on one level, but uh, some listeners may not. Hmm. Why is that so important? Uh, Well, I guess there's a couple of reasons. So from the point of view of us, the regular user, um, actually, okay, I'll deal with the easy one first. Security is the easy answer. That, that's right. the easy answer. But that's if the other answer is probably more interesting. So Apple introduced cool new things in each version of iOS. But if people don't update to the new iOS, then developers won't use the cool new features because they'll be excluding people from their apps. So the more people pile onto the new OS, the quicker new features get into the apps we use every day. Yeah. And, and we get to do cool and neat new things uh, partially thanks to the developers, right? Right, absolutely, because Apple can make all the best APIs in the world, but if the developers don't use them, they're no good to us. Yeah, okay. Okay, thank you. Okay, um, the other... I, I, no... I think, I oh, think sorry, actually yes. that... Yeah, I was just going to say, actually, I think that 
it, it's a bit of a swing for stakeholders and, and also for stakeholders in the company because it, it enables them to have a consistency and show that people are moving forward and buying the products and updating and keeping mm. up to date, which which makes their whole um, process of creating software and keeping updates software much more efficient. So uh, I think there's a two-pronged attack there as well. It's, it's good news for um, shareholders. Yeah. Good point, yes. Good point, yeah. Given that this is one of those uh, shows where we talk about financial results, it's a good topic to bring up. We shall talk more about that later. Um, I can see the grin. I can see. I can hear the grin on your face. <laughs> um, the other number that caught my eye is a number released by IBM. It is five hundred and thirty-five dollars. And that is how much cheaper it is to give people Macs than PCs when you look at it as a full widget sort of thing. So IBM are a pretty large corporation with an awful lot of employees, and they allow their employees to choose. Would you like to be a PC or would you like to be a Mac? And the users who choose to be a PC cost less to provide them with the hardware and to look after them and that hardware for the duration of that hardware's life. Than when, so a Mac is 535 cheaper over the lifetime of the device than a PC is. So that's that's an interesting fact, isn't it? I mean, that's something actually I think Mac users have known for a long time, mm. but you don't actually know that until you start becoming a, a Mac owner uh, and understand the the benefits of, of owning uh, a Mac. Yeah. So if, yeah. if your boss is saying, oh, I'm not buying you a Mac, that's a luxury. You can tell your boss that actually it's a lot cheaper. There's a lot of people that are very slow to take that because that, that's been true forever. And and there's a lot of people that are slow on the uptake of that. So this is really good PR for Apple. Yeah, yeah I think it's uh, great to have an independent source here kind of verify, uh, like what we've said, that a lot of Mac owners already knew. If we look at a total cost of ownership, which you know consumers tend not to always look at, it's th- that immediate need that they want to fulfill. But the you know, total cost of ownership is so much cheaper. I mean, if I just myself compare the number of support calls that I've made, you know, in in the 10 years that I've been a Mac user uh, versus, you know, the prior years, it's significantly less um, stress. I wonder how many less heart attacks are caused because <laughs> yeah. people are Mac owners versus PC. So you think it might even save the country money? <laughs> I, I tell you, I, you know, I, I have not once uh, ever threatened to throw my Mac out the window, which I almost literally did with a PC. So that that's the difference for me personally. Hmm. I, I, an interesting anecdote. Again, it's an anecdote rather than data. But I've, you know, I am that person in our extended family. What does techie support for the family? Not because I want to, but because I work in IT and there's no way I cannot take their call. Um, nice. And. I, I thought I could get away from this terrible duty by saying, yeah, well, I've switched to the Mac and I'm only going to support people who switch to the Mac. And I thought everyone would stay put on Windows and then I would have no more family support to do. But they all followed me to the Mac. But I still have no more mm-hmm. family support to do. Ah. Uh, so it's worked great. out fine. Yeah. Even though I thought it had backfired. No, it's worked out absolutely and, fine. They can look after themselves and, now. And, and Bart, what help they ask for, you quite enjoy giving. Well, yeah, because usually it's a case of, can you recommend an app to do blah? And I go, well, actually, as it happens, bloody blah podcast mentioned bloody blah thing, and it's cool. I don't mind doing mm. that. That's fun. That's, that's, that's what we do, right? That's why we podcast. Yeah. 
Okay, so uh, it's time to eat some vegetables. Legal latest. Um, The U.S. Federal Appeals Court has overturned a ruling from the U.S. Federal Appeals Court saying that Samsung does not owe Apple money for violating the slide to unlock patent. So overruling that they don't means that they do again. I've kind of lost count and I don't understand how a court overrules itself, but okay. So (laughs) Samsung do owe Apple $120 after all. Over a feature none of them use anymore. Yeah. And it's questionable whether or not Samsung is going to take that one to the Supreme Court. Right. Speaking of which, perfect segue. So, Samsung and Apple got to spend some time in front of the Supreme Court's bench. Um, Oral arguments were heard in the Samsung v. Apple case, which has made it all the way to the highest court in the land. Um, Don't expect a quick outcome, by the way. Uh, When the Supreme Court hear a case, they tend not to rule on it for months 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 and months and months and months and months and months. So we're probably not expecting to hear from it until next summer. Um, what was interesting, so the case is not about whether or not um, Samsung are guilty of violating patents. The question is, how much money is it appropriate for them to pay Apple? So the, the letter of the law says that Apple are entitled to the full profit from the device. And Samsung's point is, well, slide to unlock is not actually giving that much value. So is this appropriate? And that's what's in front of the justices. You know, how much, how do they value this? And apparently, one of the big talking points is, is the iPhone like the Volkswagen Beetle? Is its iconic shape a big part of its appeal? So this is what the Volkswagen Beetle has to do with the iPhone. And I guess we'll find out when the court rules. Yeah, it sounds as though, um, from what I read and what I heard, because I actually listened to a podcast on some legal stuff, too, um, it sounds as though the courts are leaning a little bit in Samsung's direction on that. It sounds as though they think the original, either the, you know, actually, it's kind of interesting, because usually they do go with the letter of the law, if a law has been written in a certain way, but for some reason, they may not do this. Do that in this case. So we'll see what happens. But but Apple may very well have to pay back a little bit or some of that money that um, it already got in settlement of this case. Now, my understanding is that it was Samsung who are appealing. So right now, if the Supreme Court do nothing, Apple wins. And the the fact that the Supreme Court has eight justices instead of nine means that they could deadlock, in which case Apple still wins. So the only way Samsung can win is if they convince five justices to take their side. Right. 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 So we shall see. Okay, so let's get stuck into the big stories. Now, last month I made a conscious effort not to talk about the fact that Samsungs were going on fire. Um, and I sort of thought this story would if you'll excuse the pun, burn out. But actually, it completely did not. It sort of exploded, like the phones. Uh, So I think we absolutely do have to talk about it. Um, So initially, the first few... Initially, the Galaxy Note 7 went on fire about a thousand times more often than a phone should because every there, there is a non-zero chance of any battery-powered device having some sort of failure in the battery. The battery contains vast amounts of stored energy. If that energy comes out quickly, it will go on fire. That That is how batteries work. We remember a couple of years back, we had uh, Apple laptops catching fire because of Sony batteries that were faulty. Uh, it happens with batteries, but the failure rate is actually supposed to be teeny, teeny, tiny. And someone worked it out that the Galaxy Note 7s were going on fire a thousand times too often. Um, 
And then Samsung did some sort of recall and they said, no, 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 it's fine. We figured it out. We'll send you a new phone with a replacement battery that won't go on fire. And I sort of thought that was the end of the story. And that's where we were a month ago. Well, turns out the new ones went on fire too, because actually Samsung never actually discovered the root cause. They changed something in the hope that was it, but they actually never found the root cause. And to the best of my knowledge, they still don't know the root cause today. And so the replacement phones are here to go on fire too, at about a thousand times the expected rate of phones going on fire. And they actually had to do a full recall. Um, the FCC banned them as hazardous material from coming onto flight center in the United Kingdom. Samsung were setting up booths in major international airports to allow people to swap their phones before catching their flights because they'd be confiscated from them otherwise. Um, they had to send out fire-resistant packaging, which I have a YouTube video linked in the show notes, which shows the le- just how hazardous these things are. So that it's like a box inside a box inside a box with air gaps and all sorts of stuff, and they send you gloves so you don't touch the nasty chemicals that are in the fire-retardant stuff. And then there's a giant big sign on the front saying not to go in an airplane. So this has to be shipped via ground all the way back to Korea where it came from. And then uh, the last thing I have in the show notes is that uh, there was a mod released for a one of the, one of the um, games I don't understand, uh, where one of the custom weapons. Grand Auto. With this. Which one was it? Grand Theft Auto, and I don't remember the number four or three. Somebody else who I'm not a gamer, but yeah. So that Grand Theft Auto three or whatever. I don't know what the number is. Yeah. So the weapon was a Galaxy Note Seven, which would obviously explode. <laughs> And Samsung tried to use a DMCA to get videos of that game taken down, which is completely and utterly not the point of the DMCA, and parody has always been protected speech in the United States of America. So that's the the, the facts as they cross my news feeds. Uh, oh, yeah, and also they estimate it's going to cost them $5.3 billion, this whole whoopsie. Can we put that number into some perspective there? Sure. You could have... A company or several companies with around 13,000 people that $5.3 billion turnover would um, would actually, um, you know, employ. Uh, survive with, employ, and you'd actually have. So that's 13,000 people's jobs in one company that would just disappear if they, you know, if it suddenly cost them that amount of money. It's a colossal amount of money. Um <laughs> I think I mentioned they actually completely discontinued the model and there is apparently going to be a, a Samsung Galaxy Note 8, but there will not be a, Gala- a Samsung Galaxy Note 7. It is a failure. It has vanished into the ether of products. I don't know. It's dead. Yeah. I think the bigger damage is to the brand itself, you know, and um, it goes way beyond, I think, this uh, $5 billion uh, because mm. the brand's been yeah. tainted, yeah. you know, at, at least from folks that I'm... I'm aware of. Uh, they're just not looking at Samsung, not only the phones, but also other brands. Even myself, as I mm. look, I was looking for a stove the other day, and uh, you know, I ran into some Samsung things that looked nice to me. And between this story and another story, I think that Allison actually put out there, um, you know, I took a second look and went, "Huh, you know, what, what's behind uh, all of this?" And and this this kind of neglect towards mm. these details that are endangering people's lives. And so I think that's really, it, it, once we take up the total cost of what this has cost them, it's going to be well beyond uh, this $5 billion in order for them to get, uh, you know, that brand loyalty back to those people who have long been, you know, Galaxy uh, owners and, and, and cheerleaders. It, it's funny, though, Victor, I, since this has come out, I've heard 
lots of people complaining about the quality of Samsung products. And so there's been lots of people around that have experienced, you know, had bad experiences with, um, you know, with, with Samsung products in the past, which I haven't. I've got to say I haven't. Every Samsung product I've had so far has been absolutely fine. I've got a Samsung TV, absolutely brilliant. But I've heard, you know, when the when this hit the news stories, um, quite a lot of people started saying, oh, yeah, I wouldn't trust Samsung because I had this problem mm-hmm. and this problem. So, yeah, it does seem to be a little bit in their DNA, doesn't it? Well, it's either that or, it, or it's like, you know, when you get a new car and then when you're on the freeway, you notice all the new cars that are just like yours, <laughs> you know, but now, so it could just be that yeah, it because be. this could is be. in the news. All of a sudden, we're just paying more attention to anything that, that you know, is yeah, negative, true. let's say. True. Maybe that's what it is. But nevertheless, I, I think it just cannot be good for a company to to have a stand in an airport switching phones out and having airlines saying, <laughs> we're not going to take off until all Samsungs are off. That's not good news for any company. I, I think, that, to me, the killer is the fact that they said, no, 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 we have this fixed. Trust us. Send your phones back. We'll send you a new one. They'll be grand. To say yeah. that when your engineers are telling to you, we have not found the root cause... That that is, that, that is astounding. That shows a corporate culture that is sick. Now, has Correct. that been? Do we know that last piece for sure that the engineers were saying uh, no, that it wasn't ready, or is that something we're just? Kind uh, well, of no, assuming? I'm not saying the, the engineers were saying they weren't ready. The engineers had said they had not found the root cause. So the okay. engineers were guessing that fixing the batteries might help. Well, you know, and it's not like there isn't precedence for this kind of a recall from a company. For goodness sakes, all we have to do is go and take a look back at uh, Bayer Aspirin a few years ago. If you guys remember, they had something that there was some tainted medicine from Bayer. And Bayer immediately – Wait a second, Victor. Was that definitely Bayer? Because Tylenol is the one I remember. All right, and it may be Tylenol, so we'll we just keep, keep our, our brand. Tylenol is the one, because I was living in the Chicago area when this happened, and it was in the Chicago area where someone tamed, somebody literally put cyanide in bottles of, of Tylenol. It was before we had safety caps, you know, and all the wrappings around the tops of bottles, because who would do some, such a thing? <laughs> so that that was right. a Tylenol thing. So, so just to. I stand corrected then, Tylenol. Yes. Thank you for that. So, okay. regardless, what they did was they removed. All of their products, not just this specific product or in a specific region, they simply recalled everything. Right, and, and uh, they rebranded, that, didn't they? They, they, they like there was a well, you could never tell you could never accidentally buy the old product. It was just a completely different package. They, yeah, they may have. Yeah, they repackaged. They didn't. They didn't rebrand in the sense that they kept the name Tylenol, but they did. Yeah, rejigger somehow the packaging. Right. So a great example of something that could have been disastrous for that company, you know, being done right. And an example that Samsung should have taken. You know, these are smart people that are supposed to be running these companies. They could have said, let's just do what they did and let's just play this safe. Yeah. Yeah. um, There's a lot of questions. I've heard a fair number of discussions about how this will impact them in the long term because that's really the question. Mm. Because people will forget. I mean, people are still buying, what is it, uh, pick, uh, Ford Explorers had a problem. Uh, Firestone Tires had a problem maybe at the same time. I mean, there's lots and lots and lots of examples. Even GM, the cars, people were, you know, there were problems with that. There was a reputed problem with Audi that turned out not to be a real problem. So, and that is also a place where people's lives are in danger, obviously, who, with automobiles. Which cars was it that wouldn't break? 
Uh, well, that was, I believe you're thinking of the Audi case, which turned out to to be wrong. 60 Minutes reported it that way, and it turned out that they were wrong. Well, I'm, I'm thinking back about five years ago. I could have sworn it was Toyota had some sort of issue where if you're going along in cruise control, you could hit the brakes and you wouldn't stop. Oh, that may be. I don't, I don't, I'm not familiar with that one. Well, I but remember thing- thinking, that's not good, and they, they fix it pretty promptly. Um, yeah, that didn't harm them, yeah. really. Yeah, maybe that's why I don't remember it because I do remember the GM case. I remember the CEO of GM being up hauled up in front of Congress to answer for why something wasn't handled more quickly because people did lose their lives in that mm-hmm. case. Um, so there's been lots of those kinds of things, and people are still buying GM cars now. Mm-hmm. Um, so so these things do fade. The thing that I wonder about is the think about the kind of people who are on airlines and who sat in an airplane and heard these announcements because right. that's going to be your high end customers uh, or potentially your high end customers so those you know that that may be the most damaging part of the whole thing that's that's a totally uneducated guess on my part because but things do fade over time so it'll be interesting to see what what happens i would love it though if they would release, if they do discover what went wrong here, that mm. information would be valuable. I mean, that would really speak well of them if they released the information and said, here's the engineering glitch. Yeah, that that's, yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a fair shout. I mean, I think a lot of people would love to know that they've found out what the actual cause was because it would then give you confidence in the company moving forward. But I don't think their culture is a culture which would do that. Yeah. Yeah. But you'd imagine thinking logically, which is not always the right way to think about these things, but thinking logically, (laughs) if you were thinking ahead to releasing the Galaxy Note 8, it would be good to be able to say, by the by, we figured out what was wrong with those sevens, and here's how we've changed our bloody blah widget to make sure that doesn't happen again. Because if I, well, I'm not in the market for a Samsung product, but if I was, I'd want to know that. The the other thing I think plays in here that's going to hurt Samsung badly is their timing. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, the Google Pixel is a very interesting phone. And (laughs) just as the notes are going on fire, the Pixel is coming out. And I am sure there are a lot of people who are like, well, I like Android. But you know something? I want to try someone else's hardware. And I would like to have Android where they promise me security updates straight away and stuff. And that makes the Pixel get it direct from Google. That makes the Pixel very interesting. And, of yeah. course, you have the iPhone 7 Plus, which is a perfectly nice device, too, which is also new, fresh, and shiny on the market. Yeah. Couldn't have, couldn't have been more terrible timing for them uh, from a market perspective. Yeah. Couldn't have been. And there was reporting that apparently Samsung were trying to get their phone out quickly because they thought that the iPhone 7 wouldn't have many new features, so they saw an opportunity, and so they rushed the Note 7 out. And if that reporting is true, then this is just a very very tragic own goal right right okay any any other thoughts on the i'm trying to remember what it was ken ray called it the fiery something oh. hellscape <laughs> yes mcketton yes. gate disaster mcketton gate was in there yeah yeah <laughs> should have written that one down. <clears throat> excuse me our theme of stuff going on fire continues The second story in our main stories bit, I am in here because I think this is really important that the message gets out there. Um, Apple are suing a company called Mobile Star, who you probably have never heard of. 
But Mobile Star sell Apple chargers and things through Amazon. So when you see them on Amazon, what you will see is genuine Apple, blah, 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 blah. And somewhere in teeny tiny small print, they'll say fulfilled by Mobile Star. So you're not going to think you're doing business with these people. But if you're buying stuff from them, Apple have been testing the stuff they sell. And Apple say that up to 90% of it is counterfeit. And not just counterfeit in the sense of, well, someone's stealing from Apple. Counterfeit in the sense of, does not meet any safety criteria whatsoever. Basically, these things could go on fire, burn your house down, and or kill you. Because electricity is not to be trifled with. There are rules on simple things like how far away the high-voltage bit should be from the low-voltage bit. Because if it's not that far away and the atmosphere is a little bit moist, you could die. So this is serious. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder I wonder what Amazon's <clears throat> pardon me, Amazon's culpability is on this. Because it would seem to me if they're if it is advertised as a genuine Apple product and it's not because it's not manufactured mm. the manufacturing is I mean it's not an Apple product. It's manufactured by these other people. So there's counterfeiting there and then and then the fact of the danger. I just I wonder about Amazon's culpability if it's on their website saying it is thus and such, and it's not. Um, seems like there would be an issue there. Well, I guess, is Amazon a victim of fraud? Well, maybe, but if it's on their website and it's still hmm. on their website, they have control over their website, I would think. Well, I presume they've so. taken their stuff down now. I haven't checked, to be honest. Um, okay. Because once Apple filed the court case, I mean, Amazon do have... Yeah, I've got to say, that's an, easy, that's an easy out for Amazon, isn't it? To say, well, you know, they told us it was all good stuff, you know, we're not to blame. Yeah, that's an easy out for me if they do that, and I, I don't think they should. But here's it, but I, Amazon, I don't know what action they've taken. If the Amazon platform is abused quite a bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sure, yeah. Amazon have a huge problem right now in uh, the review uh, category. Um, more and more and more you see reviews that are being done by people who have been given product to review, and it is rampant. And mm. um, and you really have to um, – I think they're aware of it, and they're trying to get better, I think, at, at tailoring that down some. But it's, um, it's to the point where I – very often do not rely on those reviews at all. You know, on Amazon, I go looking for that stuff someplace else because it's gotten out of hand. You know, companies who have given product to uh, hundreds of people uh, to write a po- you know exchange for a positive review. So it's uh, it, it's out of hand there, and, and you have to be real careful. Part of what you said, you know, fulfilled by that is what you need to look for. That is often your biggest clue, not just for Apple products, for anything in this in these categories. To some extent, the old adage, if it's too good to be true, it probably is, is probably your best defense. If someone is selling yes. you a, a genuine Apple charger for half or a quarter of the price, that's not, that doesn't seem legit. That seems wrong and probably is. Buyer beware. Yeah, to some, yeah to some extent, though, I, do, I would like Amazon to do some of the bewearing on my behalf. I agree. I agree. Agreed. But I say the main reason I want to put this front and center in the show is to warn people. I have made a a policy to only ever buy Apple chargers from Apple. Um, I know that means I pay the full price for them. And I know that I grumble about the fact that Apple charge an awful lot of money for a simple widgety whatnot. But when I buy it from Apple, I'm pretty sure it's not going to kill me. And and that is worth 
something. Yes. I'm, I'm going to say something. You could take this one of two ways. Mm-hmm. And, I te- and I tell you what, if it does kill you, you've got the backing of a damn big company that's going to have to pay out. Whereas that other <laughs> company, who knows? Yes, my, my, my estate will do well out of my death. I was going to say, it's yes. kind of hard to yes. collect on that. <laughs> no, but the estate would, definitely. Yes. I prefer oh, things dear. for me rather than my estate. <laughs> When I get to my 80s, I can start thinking about my estate. For now, I'll thinking about me, please. Okay, so that brings us on then to the last week in October. And we had three big news stories, literally one after the other, after the other, after the other, all wedged into the last week of October. So chronologically, the first thing to happen that busy, busy week is that Microsoft had a product announcement around their Surface range of products. And uh, I think the most... So, you know, they have the Surface Surface, or the thing we're used to as a Surface. They also have the Surface Book, which is sort of a a laptop-y, Surface-y thing. And now a third member has joined the Surface family, which is an all-in-one computer that does a Transformer act and basically becomes like a draftsperson's table. So if you can imagine an iMac that is designed to act as a giganto tablet and sort of be your desk, so you would actually work on it uh, rather than have it be up vertical and have biceps the size of God knows what to try to use it like everyone thinks would be a good idea. So what do people think about this really quite revolutionary concept. I'll start. I think it's brilliant. And I applaud Microsoft for, you know, continuing to take calculated risks towards future computing. You know, and and, in the case of touchscreen devices, you know, they have monopolized on the fact, you know, that Apple said they didn't want to be in this space. You know, they don't want to be in the space of the entire screen being a touchscreen. And so uh, Microsoft have you know, gone up and said, okay, we'll take this on. And uh, in this particular product, it's very forward thinking. Might be a bit ahead of its time, for goodness sake. We don't know until it gets to the hands of some folks. But you really have to applaud the spirit of Microsoft in taking their machines and making them attractive to an ever-growing multitude of people, including people like me who haven't looked at a Microsoft-based product for years. So I applaud them in, in what they're doing. I think the innovation with the dial that comes along with this, I think it's a little bit of extra money. Uh, that is the kind of innovation that makes it interesting. And for those who haven't seen the video, it's basically a, a round um, object that clips onto the screen itself and then takes on a function key type functionality. So if you are doing something in Photoshop and you're uh, working with a layer or maybe um some kind of a brush, you can control, you know, how much of the brush is applied by simply turning the knob with your left hand at the same time as you're painting with your right hand. So this is really good innovation. And I really have to apply them And more than once since that product was released. Have I looked at it to the point of looking at it in a cart to see how much it would cost me? Yeah, it's, if I've ever tried to imagine a touchscreen on a desktop i would want that's what i've always imagined i you know mm-hmm. the, the thoughts of having to having to reach up and touch a 27 inch screen to me is the stupidest idea ever it was great in science fiction but it was a dumb idea and i've never mm-hmm. wanted the touchscreen laptop but i figured if i want touchscreen on a large device it needs to be the it needs to be the actual surface if you'll excuse the pun 
it needs to be like when I was in school doing tech drawing. It needs to be the surface I'm actually working on. And Microsoft, I think, have hit the hardware on the head here. This, the Surface Book is an interesting product. The actual Surface Tablet, I think, is a dumb product because having a tablet with a desktop OS doesn't work for me at all. But that desky thing, you know, the, the whatever you want to call that all-in-one device, that's, that is genuinely good engineering that has me impressed. Just a pity it runs yeah. Windows. It's compelling. I mean, uh, as as both an audio engineer uh, and a photographer, it hits both sides mm. of those things for me. As an audio engineer, you see, if I'm able now to tilt this thing at this angle and put my DAW, my mixer, in mm. front of me and touch multiple points in that mixer, that's fulfilling a need that today, if I want that need, I have to go out and buy another piece of hardware called a Raven, which in essence is a 24-inch screen that's made just for that purpose, but that's all it does. Hmm. Well, this takes care of that for me. And then, of course, as a photographer and, and a doodler, uh, it takes all of those boxes as well. So it, that was, to me, just immediate use cases that for me said, yeah, these are really good use cases for the type of computing uh, that I do. Yeah. Now I have not seen the video, and I've I've only seen pictures, and I have I do not understand how the thing works, which is fine. Um, yeah, I'll just I'll, I'll, let me leave it there for just a minute. I, but I'm puzzled by it, and and I would like to see it. I guess I do have this one question. I Adobe has modified Adobe Photoshop for it at this point. Is that correct or no? Well, certainly in their demo, it sure looked like it had. And like anything else, like Touch Bar is going to be for Apple, it's going to be up to those developers to take advantage of these abilities. Okay. All right. It looks to me like you'd have to put your arms up to use it, but it goes up and down. Is that what it does? Yeah. So it it folds like a draftsperson's table. It it, it folds. If you you scroll down the page in the show notes, you'll see the third photo down is is a lady using it in the downward position. Okay. And so it, okay. it it becomes like a table that's sitting up at say a thirty degree angle to you, you know, like like okay. you would if you were a drafts person with an old fashioned drafting board with the T square down the side. Okay. All right. Yes. All right. So yes. yeah. It's, all right. Okay. All right. I'll have to take a look at the video too, just to see because I did not see it. Yeah. So it transforms okay. basically. So when the screen is up, you have a keyboard and mouse in front of you, and you use it like a regular computer. But you can then tilt it down so that it's at that sh- the shallow angle to you, and it becomes your desk. And then you're working. So if you're doing some sort of graph, some sort of, I mean, it's particularly for artistic uses, it's particularly useful. It, it yeah. becomes your desk and your screen and your computer and your everything. So you're directly manipulating your stuff. Mm-hmm. And I found it interesting that they went with a three by two aspect ratio and yeah. a 28 inch screen. You know, that, that, that was telling as well as for, you know, what, the, what obviously the users are going for on this. Yeah. I mean, the 28 Creative. inches is Creative. big. You know, that, that is yeah. a big device. That makes even an iPad Pro look teeny tiny, mm-hmm. which is impressive. My big concern is still Windows is hell-bent on this idea of having one operating system for both touch and mouse. And I believe that is a fundamentally flawed idea. And I think their software is continuing to let them down. But I'm so happy to see their hardware advance so nicely. I mean, that's a nice range of products, those surfaces. Okay. Yeah, I think I'd agree with you there, but I think that that's that's the only thing that they need to really brush up on. But hurrah for Microsoft starting to show the way again, because um, I think um, 
in some respects, Apple need a little bit of a shake-up and they need some good competition in this area. And uh, it's good to see Microsoft coming back into the fore again. Yeah. That's a, that's right, Gaz. I love it. I love the competition aspect and wh- however it shakes out, that just the consumer wins. And anytime that happens, that's the best thing in my world. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so the second thing to happen, I think it was the very next day. So the, the second big story of the last week of the month was that Apple had an event or had their earnings call to announce their Q4 results. Because Apple don't use the calendar like normal people use the calendar. So Apple's calendar year 2017 has already begun. The last quarter of the calendar year is the first quarter of Apple's next fiscal year. So Q4 2016 is basically autumn of 2016 is their Q4. And so Apple had their earnings call and they released their results. So I guess the headline stuff is there's a link in the show notes to the summary data. So the headline stuff is that, let me see, uh, revenue is, where's the overall revenue? Total revenue is down 9% um, year over year, Uh, but it's up 11% sequentially. I'm not sure what to read into that. Um, iPhones are down 13%. The iPad is stable at zero uh, in terms of revenue, but minus six in terms of units. Um, Actually, the iPhone is minus five in terms of units, minus 13 in terms of revenue. The Mac is minus 14 in terms of units, minus 17 in terms of revenue. And services are up 24%. Uh, So basically, the total Apple is down 9%. Um, Now, this... If you, if when I read it out like that, I hear down, 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 down. Oh, look, services went up. It sounds absolutely terrible. But of course, that's not how earnings work because earnings have an expectation, as Linda has taught me so well. Earnings, <laughs> it's about what people were expecting. And people were expecting it to be absolutely awful. And this is only bad. So actually, this is good. <laughs> Welcome to the world of finance. <laughs> I love how you said that. That's great. That's great. The other, <clears throat> pardon me, the other important thing, in terms of how the market looks at it, they really they as long as it's not too far below expectations, mm. they don't worry so much about that. They look a lot at forward guidance. That gets a lot more emphasis, and their right. forward guidance was relatively good. Um, so it, it's kind of I mean this caps off the six S year is one yes. way to think about it. So there's that. And then as far as the Macs are concerned, that the iPads are, you know, that's fine. It's been pretty much the same for a while. So that's no big surprise. Um, and as far as the Macs are concerned, Apple had, had not had any new Macs for a long time. And hmm. so Mac ships were down. So it is, it's not their greatest quarter. Um, although it, for reasons that are I'm still puzzling over on the conference call itself, Two of the analysts said congratulations to Apple, and uh, huh. that's something. That, uh, yeah, which is like, huh? That was I was like, huh? I wonder why <laughs> they got the congratulations? Because in the past, I've only heard that happen when they've had blowout quarters, and this yeah. was not blowout quarter. So that's a bit puzzling, but you know, whatever, humans. Um, yeah. yeah. If, so, you, go if you're going to take a hit in the quarter, take a hit in the quarter, and then you can start having some record quarters again afterwards. Exactly. And and the fact that the sevens are doing so well in terms of pre-orders, plus Apple has received this gift from Samsung, hmm. um, has, has a lot of people's attention. So 
the other thing is is that going in, there were a lot of analysts, both industry analysts and a few of the actual sell side analysts that we hear on the call, um, basically saying that they did not expect much from the 7 because they thought next year, which will be Apple's 10-year anniversary for the iPhone, they anticipated that being the really big one. So the expectations were lower for the 7. Also, the thing about that the 7 did not uh, change its physical design. Yeah. But it's selling very, very well. They can't meet demand on it. So that's another <clears> thing that has, has um, increased the optimism. Yeah. Um, actually, just looking at the iPad number again, so we're saying the iPad is what we expected. But actually, down 6% is a, a slowing rate of falling than what we have been yeah. seeing. Right, right. So I think the I don't have the numbers in front of me, but didn't the revenue pretty much come out about even or down just a smidgen, much less than the than the units in um, themselves? Well, the, whatever rounding Apple are doing on their official spreadsheet, it is zero percent change. Okay, yeah. So I think they made up what they didn't sell in units; they made up in revenue, um, meaning in quote they would say it the mix, meaning the number of iPad Pros versus the number of iPad Minis, et cetera, et cetera. So from a revenue perspective, they did not lose much ground. The other thing that's happening for Apple right now, and it's happening for other companies as well, um, the foreign exchange rate, they'll sometimes call it Forex, because the, the dollar is strong in a lot of countries uh, the the prices have actually gone up, and Gaz can probably testify to this. Being in the UK, uh, of course, UK is a special case because of the whole Brexit thing. But um, uh, that that keeps people from buying. They they can't afford it when the dollar is strong and the and the prices are high. The prices, in effect, go up for those those in yep. countries other than the US. So. Yeah, yeah, and the, uh, the price hike for you guys was twenty percent or something on Max, wasn't it? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, it used to be that you you you'd take off the the tax and you you'd align your prices to the US, and around twenty percent was pretty much there or thereabouts. It was still a little bit of difference, but now, boy, if I want to buy an Apple product, it's probably better to fly over there and and get it from the states and come back because. Um, yeah, I mean, it's there's a parity with the pricing that we have uh, mm. versus the U.S. pricing, but our prices include that 20 percent um, uh, VAT. So, it, so Kaz, if I can ask, what will preclude you from not coming over here to buy it, but uh, you know, going someplace else in the EU uh, and, and maybe taking advantage of that? Well, the rate the rates against the euro are not quite as beneficial. I mean, it, it, it's it it yeah. I, I think actually, Bart can testify to the fact that it's probably it has been in the past, or it would have been easier in the past if there was a an Apple store in Belfast mm-hmm. for him to have travelled up from uh, from Southern Ireland into Northern Ireland to to buy um, to buy in the UK. But it's it, yeah. There's nothing to stop me from doing that. Up until Apple okay. changed their prices this this week, basically, um, the, the 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 euro to the to the sterling went very positive for an Irish point of view. It's very bad for our economy because we try to export into the UK and can't yep. now. But yep. from a as a consumer, it's actually really good because Amazon.co.uk is our closest Amazon store, so all of those Amazon yes. prices are way lower. And until Apple tweaked their prices, it was absolutely worth our while to drive up to Belfast to pick up Apple stuff. But now that Apple have 
adjusted for the fact that the pound has weakened that that sort of taking care of that got it got it so i mean we uh, the companies uh, if if the dollar suddenly drops in value in some of the markets where there they have a lot of sales although um, america may or may not like the fact that they've lost the valuation of the dollar what it means is that they will actually be getting more income from those countries where the local currency has strengthened against the dollar because it means a dollar is buying you know you're actually getting more income back out of that country so there are there are always pros and cons to the fluctuations of currencies around the world and and people will argue until the end of time as to you know exactly what you want out of out of a currency a lot of people are saying actually the rate of the, the the pound at the moment is about right and it means our exports will start going up which indeed they have been because we are now cheaper to buy from right mm. Mm-hmm. The, the economic news, generally speaking, from the U.S. though is good, and yeah. um, which means the dollar is more likely to stay strong. Yes, um, which is a, is a headwind for Apple. I mean that. Mm. I mean to yeah. get all the way back, it, yeah. it is a headwind for Apple because Apple, the Apple obviously accounts does their accounting in U.S. dollars. So yes. Now yeah. looking mm-hmm. looking at Apple's raw numbers there, I mean. The Americas are still Apple's biggest market, but you know when you add all the others up, it's actually bigger. So Apple exports slightly more than they have in total, but at the same time, revenue for just the Americas was twenty twenty thousand twenty billion. Europe was ten billion. Greater China was eight billion, and Japan was four billion. The rest of Asia Pacific two billion. Yeah, so I guess that's that. They're they're less than half of the revenues in dollars, I guess. Well, the other thing is when you say the Americas, some of, that includes South America oh, as yeah. well, and 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 Canada. So it's it's not just the U.S. So that yes, becomes yeah. Yes, yeah, so they'd, they'd take they'd take exchange hits on those countries as well, of course, wouldn't they? Yeah. Yeah. So I guess yes. it might only be a quarter of their revenues in their own currency. Yeah, I'd have to. I I don't know that off the top of my head. I, but, I yeah. would say it's probably more than that, Bart. But yes. Yeah, it's probably- yeah, it's, I would a wild guess would be two thirds, but that's that's a wild guess. Or someplace between a half and two thirds would be U.S. because U.S. is a really big market, but it's South okay, America. Okay, but the whole of the Americas is less than half, so the U.S. can't be more than half. So it could be a third. Oh, I well, see. You're, you're you're talking about the total total. Yeah, well, yeah. The, so total the total of the Americas. Total, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Of Apple's yeah. total revenue, only only a third of it could be in in dollars. Realistically, the rest of it's yeah. got to be foreign. Yeah. Okay. No, what I, I was looking just inside the the Americas. Ah, group. yeah, that's yeah, that's so, that's where I thought he was coming from. Yeah, agree. Okay, yeah. yeah, that's entirely believable. All right, that two thirds of the Americas would be the U.S. Yeah, somewhere in there, little or a little less. Okay. All right. Um, any other thoughts on what Apple actually had to say? So I think Linda, you've already hinted that Apple gave guidance that made Wall Street happy. Um, so Correct. they were, so Wall Street were expecting Apple to guide, and then Apple guided a little bit higher. So that made everyone happy. Correct, and it's it's going to be the 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 crux of the question will be, can they produce enough iPhones seven and seven plus hmm. to meet demand? Because they did say on the conference call that question came up, and basically they said by the end of the quarter we will have we will be. Um, uh, give, getting producing enough to meet demand on the seven, but we're not sure about the seven plus. Wow. 
uh, which was interesting. And then the, the other thing about the seven plus is that, is that there is a great de- the percentage between sevens and seven plus uh, seem the percentage of that that is seven plus is higher than it was for six s plus. So that so the dual demand, camera or whatever is obviously catching people's imagination. Exactly. Exactly. For whatever whatever the reasons, camera, et cetera, et cetera, the demand is way up on the plus. And that, of course, uh, bodes well for Apple because that's the higher priced phone. Also the phone that competes directly with the Galaxy Note 7. <laughs> there is that. I don't know if it's there related. Just, just an observation. The I, don't other, su- um, I don't suppose we know whether their margins are higher on the uh, the bigger phone as well. Ooh, we don't, don't we... know for sure because they don't come out and say that. No. No, uh, but many of the analysts seem to believe that it is higher, that the margin is a little higher. So there's that. And then the other question, um, it, it, looking at the whole competitive landscape, and I don't know the answer to this, but is the Pixel, the Pixel is Google, the Google's new mm-hmm. phone, right? Mm-hmm. Is that, um, are they, do they, are they producing enough to meet demand on that? Do we, we don't know that, I don't think. I haven't seen anything on it at all. I don't know. Um, I guess okay. if I try so to that... order one and see if they're backdated or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be. I think they're backdated a couple of weeks, but I, I haven't seen anything that indicates that there's a shortage or a problem that way. Okay. All right. Okay. So, and they also we... have the equivalent to a 7 Plus and a 7, a smaller and a bigger. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, just to mention, the show notes also have a link to the transcript that I more always do of uh, Tim Cook's contributions to the call, which they call This is Tim. Um, that's generally some of the most interesting stuff, because when Tim answers, everyone listens, because he's CEO. Um, the, the answer I want to draw attention to that might be worth discussing is um, Tim was asked about the trade-off between privacy and AI, and he went, no. That's not a trade-off. You can have both. And I'm delighted to hear Tim Cook say that because Google's excuse for stealing our privacy is, oh, no, 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 but that, we have to be able to steal our privacy. We can't do AI. And that is just garbage. And I'm delighted to hear Apple speak up in favor of that. Yeah. Um, as far as information is concerned, there's Seeking Alpha is a site that you have to sign up you know, give them your email or whatever, register, as they say. But that they also offer a complete transcript of the call with all the analyst questions and, Luca, you know, the whole mm-hmm. kit and caboodle, if people want to see that from a transcript. I mean, that's only for people who, who want to do a deep dive, but it's there. Cool. Any other thoughts on the call before we move on? They made, they made a <clears throat> load of money. Yes, they did. <laughs> yes, they did. Okay, um, so the last thing to happen in the final week of October was the Hello Again Apple event. Um, it was a town hall event, so I guess that should have set our expectations that it was not going to be a blowout event like um, WWDC or whatever, or the event the previous month before. Um, but there was basically one big thing they told they told us about which is macbook pros but they started off with a video to pull our heartstrings about how apple puts their efforts into accessibility which i for one applaud the fact that when you buy stuff from apple it's accessible out of the box without paying thousands of dollars for extra software and that that was not the case before apple started doing it on their os and now it seems to be becoming more the case so thank goodness for apple for doing that and then they did something for apple tv which 
I'm going to ask the Americans on the call whether or not this is a big deal, but basically it's an app that lets you see all of your TV from all of your apps in one app and sync (laughs) your status across your devices. And it's coming to the US only, um, rolling out at the end of the year. So, uh, Victor or Linda, do do either of you actually use the Apple TV for TV? I do use the Apple TV for TV, but I don't watch much TV at all. Victor, do you have, uh, can you speak into, I mean, I can quote people, but. Uh, I watch of- TV, uh, but I do not use the Apple TV oh. uh, okay. at all, at all, at all. Um, oh. Nope, not at all. Oh. No, I have, a, I have a version two collecting dust someplace and, and, okay. and that's all. Uh, it, it's their neglect of uh, services like Netflix or Flex, you know, and that to me was a showstopper. And, and this mm. application that's supposed to be this great conglomerate of all your TV in one place and then we'll launch third-party application HBO and make it all happen to me. One more time, a great attempt and then a miss because it's not all my TV. I can't, I still can't watch Netflix, for example. Oh, who'd well, want to do that? Hang you on. Know? Well, no, uh, Netflix wait, wait, is wait, on wait, Apple wait. TV. Yeah, What's wait, that? wait, wait, wait. It's not wait, on this wait. app. Wait a second. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, Victor. I'm gonna uh, set up a fight between you and one of your neighbors. Uh oh. Good. Um, Good. <laughs> I love I was, fighting. <laughs> I was just listening to Adam Christensen literally this morning, his most recent uh, podcast, mm-hmm. and his his comment about the Netflix thing is is basically number one that they haven't worked that out yet with Netflix, but mm-hmm. that it is covering I think everybody else in terms of that particular app, and then his he also made the comment and. We don't do Netflix. We're, you know, we're, we do Apple TV and that's all. And I don't watch much television, as I said. But um, uh, his comment was that Apple has a good relationship with Netflix. They've had good integration with Netflix. So I don't know why he thinks it's good and you think it's bad since it's something I don't use. Yeah, I think I, I think I had I think I heard that as well, Linda. And I think what he was saying was he he was surprised that it wasn't incorporated in this this latest version and this set. So. Um, I, I think Adam expects that it will actually come in the future, um, but uh, because because of the good relationship with them in the past. Yeah, I mean, here in Ireland, right, none of our actual major TV stations have Apple TV integration. The only content that I can get to my Apple TV that isn't my own content, so I have, I mainly use my Apple TV to watch my stuff that I have sitting on a file server of mine using a great app called Air Video HD, but the one exception is Netflix. We actually have really good Netflix integration with the Apple TV, even here in Ireland, where our Apple TV integration is in general awful because yeah. none of our national broadcasters are game. And I guess, you know, by making it app based like they did with the, with the fourth gen Apple TV, there is now the possibility for the Irish broadcasters to play ball. But Apple certainly haven't gone to Dublin to go and court the uh, the Irish TV stations. Not a chance. So until they decide they want to write an app, we're going to see nothing because Apple. Are, it's going to take Apple decades to get around to chasing our TV channels. Right. They, you know, they might do the UK next, maybe France or Germany. Um, so I guess the fact that even in America they're not able to offer anything that really competes with the cable box yet is disappointing because it means that the cable companies do not want a future that is different to the present. Well, they are fighting it. There's no question they are fighting it. And these pieces, these moves that Apple are that Apple is making um, are steps in the direction of getting of of 
fighting back in effect. So how, how, how much you think each individual step is worth, I don't know, but you know, that's up to each person. Yeah. And it's so good that we have choices. Again, you know, I, I choose not to use the Apple TV because of some of the things that they have done. This Netflix thing being the latest one, a bigger one for me is, is integration with Amazon. I mean, that is my platform of choice when it comes to renting movies and watching shows, you know, that Netflix are my platform of choice and, and they have zero integration with Amazon. Okay. Zero. That's, and, I, and, yeah. yeah. But I, Victor, this, that's not Apple's yes. fault. Like that yeah. is 110% Amazon's choice there. And I agree. I agree with you that these companies need to come together and, and do whatever they need to do to satisfy their consumers. In this case, Amazon needs to be able to play ball with, uh, with Apple. Uh, in the Netflix case, it, it Adam may be very well right that they will incorporate this and, and it's just not ready. But for Apple to tout that it's all your TV in one place out of the gate, it, it just isn't. Not yet. You know, maybe someday, mm-hmm. but not yet. Well, it's everything I think except Netflix is my understanding. So, so it's, that's it's not that's, Plex server. Well, no, it's not Plex, but Plex is a server. But Plex is not a television. I mean, they're not offering broadcast I, television. I, I, I think we understand the route they want to take, but to, to Victor's point, it's a long way from that finished article, and I can understand what you're saying, Victor, because if somebody says, ah, oh, all of my TV, they buy, they go out. So they're not an Apple fan today at all. They've got no idea what they're buying. They see that headline. They buy the Apple TV. They're expecting to be able to get all of the TV from some of the services that you've mentioned, and it's not there. And I think that's well, what you're saying, and I agree with that. I, I think it is. And the other part of it is, despite of Apple's good intentions here, I'm not telling you they don't have good intentions, no, but they are subject to some of the um, – yeah terrible UI that mm-hmm. some of these third-party applications have. HBO Go to be the prime example. You know, just a horrid UI. I don't care what platform you're on. And so Apple, you know, is, is playing nice and being able to launch that to a specific screen in their UI, but it's still their UI. So you you have this, you don't have this consistency of look and feel that would be nice if there were some guidelines around. You're still dealing with you know, the lowest common denominator, which may be that third party developer of that app, that TV app is launching. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yes. Wait a minute. A- am I am I wrong in here? Because the way I heard the announcement is, is that that is specifically the problem that will go away with this new app. In other words, your HBO, your ABC, your your CBS, your NBC, your Fox News, all all of that stuff and HBO, et cetera, would all come through this single app. No, they'd so be available through the app. So, if, Right. If it's invoking a back-end if, server with Apple's front-end UI, awesome. That'll be a great experience for those no, who have it, Apple It's TV. deep linking into the app is what it's doing. So you know the way That's uh, what iOS has That's deep linking now. Yeah, so it's a single place to find stuff. It's a single place to continue watching. It's a single place to see where you are in every series. But when you click onto a series, you're still being jumped to the app it's actually coming from. You're being deep linked yeah, into the HBO app or whatever. Correct. That's my itself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's my understanding. If I'm wrong, I'll stand corrected happily. Well, that's the the demo they showed as well. So I I think we're I think we're on solid ground here. All right. Okay. Yeah. Um, And you see, I can't imagine the TV stations would ever agree to anything else because they're scared, you know, excrementless about losing control of the product (laughs) they're selling and the thoughts of not even having their own UI anymore I mean that would never float never in the month of Sundays I mean they're being they're afraid of being disintermediated and that would just prove all their fears correct and then they they would probably just flee from the whole platform completely 
and I wish I could say that I thought it was going to get better, but with no. mergers like the AT and T and 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 uh, you know, uh, I'm sorry, I'm, uh, what is there? Time, time Warner. Time Warner. There's going to be another example where you're going to have now another huge company saying to Apple, no, no, we want to control this end of it because don't you know, we are providers of cable services and of direct TV. And so it's like that makes it even less likely for Apple's great intentions to become an actual product that we can love. Yeah. Indeed, sadly. Then Apple moved on to... The big announcement of the event, um, which is the hello again bit, I guess. Um, Apple have, after a long time of not doing so, done a major refresh on their MacBook Pro line. And in fact, only the MacBook Pro line. Anyone who was expecting a refresh of other Apple models was sadly disappointed. So the big the big changes, I guess, are that it's thinner and lighter. Shock horror. Um the trackpad is twice as big as it used to be, which looks amazing to me. And then the higher of the higher two of the three models they announced come with a touch screen where you would expect to find the function keys, which they are calling a touch bar. And there are APIs already available to developers today to effectively turn that bar into a part of the app's UI and you actually customize it in the same way you customize, um, say, the Finder Windows menu bars. You can actually drag and drop things down into that uh, extra menu bar, which looks pretty cool, and each app gets to do their own thing down there that they want to do. Um, It is an OLED screen and it has retina resolution and it is multi-touch. And it has, on its right-hand side, or integrated into the power button, a Touch ID sensor. So, I guess, in a nutshell, that is Apple's entire announcement shrunk down. Um, <laughs> the, the hardware is much more in line with the 12-inch MacBook, I think. Um, so, gone is the translucent uh, Apple logo and replaced with the iPad-style silver uh, Apple thingy that you have in the 12-inch MacBook. Uh, like the 12-inch MacBook, Gone is MagSafe, replaced with um, power over USB-C. Or USB-C. Um, in fact, all of the ports have been replaced with USB-C ports. But unlike on the MacBooks, on the 12-inch MacBook, the USB-C port is a USB port. On, on these MacBook Pros, the USB-C port is a Thunderbolt 3 port, which can do USB-C and can do displays port and can do power, obviously, as USB-C can. And H- HDMI too, or no? Yes, yes HDMI, HDMI as well. Too. Even the 12-inch MacBook can handle HDMI, actually, over that okay. port. Um, so everything the 12-inch MacBook can do, plus the power of Thunderbolt, which gives you the display port as well. Um, and so it, it's all in the same physical hole. And every on the 15-inch one, every port is equal. So there are four ports, two on each side, and any of them can do anything, which is a rather weird idea to people who've grown up, you know, 20 years ago, that was that was voodoo. That, that would never have happened. Yeah. Um, but on the 13-inch model, uh, the ports on one of the two sides have less bandwidth available, presumably because they're shared by the screen or some other integrated peripheral. Um yeah, so, so the two or four ports, and none of them have any less, and the the headphone jack didn't go away. Uh, right. And people are up in arms because it doesn't go bong when you turn it on. I have no well, idea why this is a big deal, but... You can you can set it so that it does. <laughs> if you must, yes, you can. <laughs> I was trying to think, does my 12-inch MacBook make a dong? And I have no idea, because I never... <laughs> 
I use it like an iPad. So it goes to sleep and it wakes up and it goes to sleep and it wakes up. I, I cannot remember the noise it made when I turned it on the day I bought it a year and a half ago. Yeah. It has never made the noise since, that's for sure. Now, can we... I know we're going to be talking about the what it, no. I always get the name wrong. Is it the touch bar at the top? Touch bar. Yes. Today, interestingly, a Mac OS Ken had somebody called Shelley Brisbane on, yes. and she made a, a point about the fact that Apple and I was going to say this at the start when you mentioned it that they jumped in with the accessibility piece, the accessibility yes. film, and she was waiting for them to say that this touch bar is also uh, accessibility enabled. I, it's got voiceover or something like that attached, and they never said that. Now, that's not to say it isn't and won't be, or if it isn't at the moment, No, we know be in actually the future. it is, because it is. Um, good. journalists right. asked in the hands-on event, is it, and they said, well, actually, yes, and you do this keystroke to enable Touch ID or whatever. So that's a surprise they didn't mention that in the rest of the keynote, because they spent yeah. a long time talking about the touch bar. So that's a surprise, but that's good. That's good. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it is accessible. And also, um, people were saying that the you, you need the function keys to enable um, oh, voiceover, but actually Apple have an alternate keystroke to enable voiceover on um, these new MacBooks. So no one, there is no loss in accessibility by losing those function keys. Excellent. Which is important. So me personally i am really happy about the concept of the touch bar because that row of keys is the biggest waste of space on my entire computer and when you have a 12 inch macbook like i do that's a big percentage of your keyboard is wasted it's such a tiny computer so i'm delighted that apple are thinking out of the box and trying something new there i don't know how well it'll work because i have i haven't used it so i don't actually know if it's going to work but i can promise you it's going to be better than the function keys that are useless <laughs> yeah yeah so grading on that curve, it's a great idea. Uh, what are other people's views on the touch bar, I guess, before we move into the big picture stuff? I think I'm going to have to have hands on and see what developers do with it. Um, I do think it's kind of interesting when you compare it to the, the Microsoft concept. It's like they're jumping all in with a complete touch. And this is a more gradual step towards touch, it seems to me, from a, you know, from a very high perspective. So it's interesting because usually it's the other way around. Apple's the one to jump in with something with both feet. Uh, but this may be given people's resistance to it, it, it. I mean, it's sort of surprising that the iPad hasn't taken off and that the Mac has stayed more stable. Hmm. Um, at least from one perspective, it is anyway. So this may be kind of a movement in that direction without jumping in to the pool, uh, you know, with all, with both feet. Well, I mean, That's the other thing thought. Apple have done in the touch arena is the gestures on the trackpad. And again, having that trackpad twice the size makes all those gestures a lot more um, easy to do. I mean, I I do an awful lot of multi-touching on my, on my Mac laptops for the simple reason that that trackpad is an amazingly big and wonderful surface to work on. So that is sort of, Apple have sort of avoided, they're big on touch, just not on the sodding screen. Um, and right. given my absolute... <clears throat> OCD about fingerprints on screens. <laughs> I quite approve of Apple's approach. I also like the idea of keeping my interaction in one plane. So the keyboard and trackpad are in one plane and that works for me. And I don't actually feel any compulsion to have to reach up and touch the screen on a, on an OS that is so clearly mouse and keyboard driven. So I, think I, I like their approach. 
I think that a lot of people, and, and I had the concern as well, especially watching the people when they were stood up uh, interacting with that touch bar, mm. was that there was a lot of looking down at the touch bar. And I think that concern has been mentioned by quite a number of people. However, I think moving forward, your peripheral vision will get to understand exactly where your hand needs to go to utilize the functionality in each of the apps that you're using on a regular basis. I mean, if if I'm going to be concerned about having to look down at the keyboard, I'd never type. So... <laughs> <laughs> so it, it it would be remiss of me to say, oh, you know, you're going to get neck ache because your head's going up and down from the screen all the time because, you know, I'm tending to have to do that at the moment because I'm not a touch typist. But I do think that actually your peripheral vision with the visuals that they come up with may actually mean that you don't have to have as much head bobbing as perhaps people think you might do uh, from the initial uh, watching the people on on stage and they were all stood up so for me they were at a higher angle and further away from that keyboard um than perhaps you would be normally sitting um yeah um, with a with a device and the angle to that top row is very different to the angle to the where the command key is yeah i mean that is just beneath your screen on a laptop that is just off the bottom of your screen slightly it's not way down you're also going to learn. You're going to form habits. If you're using Photoshop and you do certain actions with Photoshop, many of those are going to be repetitive. At least some of them will be, mm. and you'll know where that is. You'll have muscle memory. And I think actually but, the most important feature to me is the sliders, and they're going to be sitting pretty much in the middle of that trackpad. And so you're going to very instinctively, when you want to straighten something, just move your move your finger over and back on basically F5, F6, F7 sort of area. It, it does just confirm the fact, and, and I've seen people using touchscreens at work on a day-to-day basis and it never looks pretty it never looks pretty and i'm a little bit like you i'm a bit ocd with with um, marks on my screen but put that to one side let me you know if i kind of step out of my my ocd box on that and and try and you know because you go to some people's screens and i I just don't want to go near it but 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 taking that to one side they they still like to interact with the screen and it is for some people natural to go to the screen when you're on the laptop. However, for me, it's something which I, I, I'm a little bit like you. Even though I have to look down at the keyboard, I do like using keyboard actions rather than even having to move my, my hand to either a trackpad or a mouse left and yeah. right uh, of the keyboard. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm a big keyboard shortcut user. Um, big, big, big. Yeah, so I, I even minimize my mouse use now that you think about it. Yeah. You know, I really, uh, I think um, I applaud Apple's innovation uh, with the Touch Bar and, and, and this. I think it's an entry into this into this field. You know, the it can't be very easy to integrate two different operating systems and in, into one machine. I mean, this thing is running on its own operating system, uh, some kind of version, I would guess, of iOS watch ios or something uh, it's got its own chip it's got its own enclave and to be able to seamlessly integrate that with the regular os is it's quite amazing i think it's apple's foray into touch for us in in that this is just the beginning i mean i, I we have to realize that our kids uh 
often have only ever used glass as their only interface to input into computers. And so I, I think that we're just seeing the beginning of the entire keyboard being taken over by a piece of glass and that this will eventually happen. And then, of course, it will be completely seamless as to what it can do based on what developers do. Uh, the Taptic engines are getting nothing but better. And, and I, I think Apple is just kind of weaning us along into what's going to be next. Uh, eventually, I, I believe we will have that second screen will be our keyboards and it will be a piece of glass that is completely configurable to as whatever we want to do. So so I applaud them on, on kind of holding our hands through this very first cycle of this. And I think it's only going to be as good as what developers do with it. I think they'll do a great deal with it. So, so I think that part of this announcement is solid. Um, I wish that for us people who didn't have a laptop with this, that either A, they come out with a keyboard that has this, which I'm, mm. I think they will. I think they will come out with one. I think it's a natural. But even B, for those of us who don't even have either one of those, what's keeping them from coming up with an iPad app that has the same functionality that I can just place in front of my keyboard and use in the same exact way huh. as the touch bar is being used? What I mean... I, I have not? actually one, one question. So my initial thought was, okay, great. Now's not the time to buy an Apple keyboard. They're going to have keyboards with Touch ID and this cool thing coming out any minute now. But Apple have gone all wireless on their keyboards. And this thing has got to be a complete battery hog. Like, and a Bluetooth wireless keyboard goes weeks or months without a charge. That can't be true with this kind of a screen on it, can it? So will Apple go wired again or will Apple just accept that your keyboard has to be charged every day? Will users accept that their keyboard has to be charged every day? I don't know. It could be a great use case for USB-C once again, you know? Uh, So, uh, but I just, it just seems like a natural to me, but again, even barring that, if the functionality, for example, I know if you're a developer uh, you can emulate touch bar functionality to develop with it. Right. So obviously there is an app for that inside of your Mac so what, wouldn't it be great to have a touch bar app on my iPad Pro that I can just simply put in front of my keyboard and, and use all that functionality now? Maybe with a little bit of latency because, you know, the way, yeah. same way that we use that. I think it would be great. That's an interesting mm-hmm. idea, actually. Yeah, very interesting idea. Hmm. Maybe actually you just want to have like a keyboard app where you can have a full keyboard with touch bar all integrated so that you replace your hardware keyboard with your iPad from time yeah. to time. Interesting. That too. And again, I think the haptic engine is what's kept, you know, the keyboards from going all glass. But mm. those things are getting better and cheaper all the time. And so, you know, I would say probably in five years, we may not all like it at first, but we'll be typing on glass and we'll be perfectly fine with it. I mean, how much thinner can they make those butterfly things now? I mean, they've done what they can, I think. <laughs> Uh, Linda, you you have an appointment to run to soon, so I want to be sure to get your thoughts before you have to leave us. So, is there anything you'd like to say about these laptops? Um, I, I will just say this. Personally, I have uh, a 13 inch uh, MacBook Pro that I'm very very happy with right now. So I'm not in the market for one. I'm more in the market for a new iMac. So I'm kind of hoping that Victor is correct and that they will come up with uh, you know find some solution so that I could play with with these uh, with the Touch Bar. 
But um, I think the laptops are fine. I think they're gorgeous. Um, I will say uh, the only other comment that I'll make about the connectors is that a lot of people seem to have missed the fact that these that um, as Allison actually pointed out that they they give you great flexibility because you can plug in almost anything. Um, and the dongles to me are not that big a deal. I know that's a big controversy out there. It's like to me that's like why are we arguing about that when we have this infinite flexibility now this is great so um so i think they're great and beautiful i expect them to sell quite well um and i'm hopeful that victor's right about the imac or about the keyboard so that's that's really the upshot of my thoughts on it cool um do you want to let listeners know where they can find you on twitter or whatever if they want to engage in conversation um Bart, can I ask you to take care of that for me? You can. And, yes, I, I'll, you I'll do that at the end of the show along with everyone else. I, I can do that. Yeah, that would be great. That would that would save me a couple minutes and uh, yeah, so on. But I do want to say I love talking with you guys. It's it's always a pleasure. So thank you for inviting me. Well, thank you for so. coming along because I always feel very insecure talking about an earnings call without you uh, there as my safety net for when I get it wrong. <laughs> oh, I'm happy to do it. Happy to do it. Okay, great. Thanks. Amanda. Okay, thanks. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Now, Bart, <clears throat> as happy as I am about all the innovation of the touch bar. <laughs> I was going to say, I, am, I, I know you, you, you have some critique. That is where it stops, buddy. Okay. I mean, that, that is where it stops. What the heck is Apple thinking throwing the baby out with the bathwater? I mean, quit okay, fat shaming. Baby? Well, to me, the baby is things like, the ability to have 32 gigs of RAM in a professional graded machine used by pros, real pros, pros like you, pros like people who are not even like me, but people who are out there making their living, being creatives, making movies and making albums all the time. And they just missed, as far as I'm concerned, they missed the mark with this machine. First of all, they have fat shamed the machine to oblivion. Enough already with the thinness, you know, and it's not so much about the dongles, although that doesn't make me happy either that as pros, you guys, we all have to carry around, you know, five or six different dongles to do different things. But putting that aside, the big one for me is are really two things. One of them is not their fault, and that's Intel's uh, lack of ability to get Skylake out there yep. to support LPDDR4 RAM, which would make it possible for this machine to have 32 gigs of RAM. Phil Schiller said the reason they didn't do it was because of battery life. This is what set me off. My goodness, leave the thing a little bit thicker and put a bigger battery so that that does not become the excuse, you know, for a pro-level machine. Um, I don't know about you, but doing music with 16 gigs of RAM is just not possible. Once you get to about 70 tracks and you're trying to play them all at once, uh, especially if you're using external I.O., which you have to in a machine like this, uh, it's just not doable. Okay. And so – Go ahead, go ahead. I would have thought that the SSD would have changed the equation on these things because I'm a, I'm now a 12 inch MacBook user, so not mm -hmm. only am I going so I always I, the last couple of years I've been a 12 gig sort of person that's where I've landed, and on this mm -hmm. device I'm now an 8 gig person, and it's faster than any of my 12 gig machines because the SSD completely makes up for the less RAM, so I am using less RAM than I ever thought I could and having a much better experience than I ever had before when I had more RAM. 
And I think for a lot of users, Bart, that is going to be the case. So I'm talking about some edge cases here, and I'll admit that, okay? And and let me explain to you in the one area that I'm very familiar with because mm-hmm. of the last year spending doing the record. Right, yeah, I've never made that an album. When, when, you have. So. When you're doing these things, um, you cannot use the internal hard drive as fast as it may be mm-hmm. as your I.O. device while you're recording and mixing. You have to go, in this case, to a third-party Thunderbolt device that writes rather fast, hopefully with SSDs, in order to do that. So even though the machine can do it, you know, you still have to have that multi-threading power to both render audio in almost a real-time basis and to have enough throughput and bandwidth to be able to communicate with your third-party device connected via Thunderbolt 1, 2, or 3 in order to keep that going. Now, in the best-case scenario here you were smart enough to buy a 15-inch MacBook Pro Mm -hmm. because if you didn't do that and you bought one of the ones that has only half or less throughput, as you put it, you are screwed. And and these are things that are not always evident. People, oh, you know, the 13-inch machine is very sexy to carry around. I thought the 13 had one of the full throughput ports and one of the half throughput ports. If that's the case, then I'll stand corrected on that, and that'll I, make things I'm 90% better. sure because the whole okay. story was not all ports are created equal. So basically, the one on the right has the full power. So if you have a, if you have some sort of external storage, like you're describing, a very fast SSD-based device, Thunderbolt 3, that you're going to be using to accept stupendous amounts of data very quickly, you should put it into the right-hand port of the 13-inch. And, and that's that's good. I mean, if that's the case, then I'll stand corrected, and that'll help. Mm. You know, but of course, you don't have as much I/O, which as right. a pro you need. So to call these machines pro all the way, hmm, I just don't think I'm on board with them. I think they're close. I think they're pro-ish. You know <laughs> what I mean? I, I think they're pro-ish, but to really call them pro. And and to and to minimize some of the uh, abilities simply because you want it to be sexier and thinner so that Johnny Ive can do his little video, it ticks me off as a pro user. Okay, well, I'm going to defend already. thin. I'm going to defend okay. thin because to me, thin is everything. Um, I, actually, before I defend thin, though, a thought. So if you were the kind of person who's doing this kind of high end, like you're making an album or something, is the MacBook Pro the machine for you or, or is the, the 5K iMac? The machine Apple think you should buy. Well, the machine for me should be an updated trash can, which I haven't done since yeah, 2013. Yeah, not going to do that. Like, I, that's I, what it should. I, be. I think that's okay. dead. I think uh, someone, it, but someone has killed. But if it isn't, then yes, I should be able to buy. Like I did this last year, I had to buy a MacBook Pro fully loaded. You know, uh, and all I could get was 16 gig. And because of that, I was limited to some of the things that I could do in the okay. field. You, you say you had to get a MacBook Pro 16 gig, but what is the would the iMac would a fully loaded iMac be a better pro machine than a fully loaded MacBook Pro? Yes, in my studio I have a fully loaded iMac at 5K. Okay. Absolutely, it's my primary machine and and it's fine. You know, but in the I want to take this in the field. Not all my uh, people can be recorded someplace else. If I was making a movie, I have to be in the field. I don't have the luxury of having uh, an iMac with me when I'm, you know, independent producer. Let's not talk about big companies. Yeah, big company, you're going to have both, right? You're going to have a machine with you and a giant big machine at home. Okay, no, so for me, right, so I've now been a 12-inch MacBook user for a year and a month or two. Basically, I think it's about 14 months. (laughs) And the best thing about this machine is the lack of bulk. Now, it's not just the thinness, and it's not just the lightness. It's the combination of the two. 
So this device takes up less room in my bag than my iPad. Now, I have an iPad Pro, so that's perhaps, you know, stacking the deck a little bit. But this device mm-hmm. is actually smaller than an iPad. And that means that this device is always with me in a way that no computer I have ever owned has always been with me. I, this is more portable than an iPad. And that is irreplaceable for me. Uh, so I am delighted that Apple has taken this design, which I love to pieces, and scaled it up to a much more pro machine. So what, that's the point of view I look at those MacBook Pros. And to me, they're really exciting because I'm looking at them from that point of view. And the other thing that excites me, even though most people think it's the downside, is those USB three, those Thunderbolt 3 ports. The one criticism I will have of this 12-inch MacBook is that while that USB-C connector is a lovely connector, it's bi-directional, thank goodness, oh, hallelujah for that. Mm -hmm. And basically, yeah, I'll get back to the dongles in a minute, but what it's missing is the ability to drive DisplayPort and to to drive Thunderbolt. And that is solved in these MacBook Pros, especially the 15-inch. You have four very powerful ports there. So the way I look at it is what I need in hardware isn't going to change over time. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to buy the dongles I need to podcast with, and that is they're going to be me set for the next five or six years. And I can now take any laptop or desktop that has a USB-C port and podcast with it because I have everything I need to make a a USB-C port into what I need. So the flexibility is instead of hard-coding the ports into the device, which is really hard to change, I've hard-coded my needs into the dongles, which I can keep. The flexibility of the dongles... Without doubt, it, it's a good thing, and if you can if you can deal with that, that that's great. And there'll be great docs that'll come out that'll take care of all of that. So again, that's not even the big the, the big thing in in my eyes. Mm. It, it's more of the real, and those are great pro-ish things. It's a great mm-hmm. mission. I'm not don't get me wrong. For the use cases you described, it's great. But as soon as you get to the group of users, and there are some mm-hmm. who need multi-threading computing power to be able to render large movie files, uh, large audio files, photography. I'm sure your machine does just fine, mm. you know. Uh, uh, but it, this is where this machine, at least, if they would have said the 15-inch machine, maybe a little bit thicker or whatever, what we can do, put 32 gigs of RAM, then maybe that would have been the best of both worlds. It would have been that Wonderful for 13 to get us into the pro-like awesomeness, and then the 15 for those of you who really want that those extra features. But what they're charging for the 13 uh, is an awful lot of money, hmm. even if you exclude the touch bar. Um, you know, if you put the touch bar, it's $500 more just for that. So this is where... If they were fulfilling that gap someplace else in the lineup, you know, then that would be a different – I would have a different take on it. But but they're not. They're, they're saying this is it, $4,100, $4,200 for a fully loaded, you know, MacBook mm-hmm. Pro, 2 terabytes, 16 gigs of RAM. Ouch. It, okay. If I were one of those guys, I would be disappointed. So I'm not buying one. So we're expecting Intel to come out with a new a – new range of hardware that allows for lower energy more ram yes intel have technology in the pipeline yeah kb lane is due to come out early 2017 unfortunately the lp ddr4 version of it Mm. is not due until late 2017 so i would i would bet a pint (laughs) because i don't do much gambling but this time next year that same form factor is going to have the Kiwi Lake in it 
and it's going to be able to Agreed. take your 32 gigs of RAM. And I think that t- that gap is temporary. I, I think Apple, this this hardware shape is going to be with Apple for a couple of years. And I think the shortcoming is temporary. And maybe yeah. when they were early in the design process, they were expecting not to have that gap. Yeah, it, but, but the other disappointing thing to me, and again, is that for as long as we had to wait for this update, hmm. there was no reason. Skylake has been out most of the year. And I understand that the touch bar is cool. But they could have waited and, you know, released a touch bar version. And then just like they did, they could they could have released non-touch bar capable units back in June, you know, with KB Lake and fulfilled that part of the market that wanted to take advantage of all the rest of the fastness, the four wonderful ports, all of that. But they didn't. They made us wait for this touch bar feature. And, and I think that's what's got a lot of people disappointed. It's like, really, we had to wait. And, and for a machine that's, in essence already almost a year old in intel technology i get the distinct feeling that they they came out with this and they were actually waiting for other things as well this this event was not just going to be this 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 event i had the feeling Mm. would have included another product what that other product was i don't know and i'm not saying a new product i'm saying an update of one of the other products and i think they've been waylaid by the fact that the the processes have been delayed but i agree with you victor they they could have perhaps preempted that or done something to overcome um overcome that issue but that's and not I, that's that's not apple at the moment is it that's not how they 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 right. run at the moment and please, I want you to know I'm not Apple hating at all. I'm, nope. I'm saying these no, no. things from a longtime Apple user who just misses those days, you know, when it was just a little bit of a different focus for pro users. And when they said hello again, I guess yeah. it was I was like Adele. Yeah. You know, I got yeah. my hopes up and, and, I, and here I was in California dreaming about what it used to be. And, and and that's what happened to me. In in terms of percentage of Apple's customer base, that pro market is shrinking fast. Yes. And I think that uh, that's going to make some people very cranky, but they're not getting the kind of priority they used to get because they used to be a major deal for Apple, and now they're not. And now they just have to make do with what's good enough for everyone else, I guess. And what and 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 what's good? It's very good. Don't get it me is. wrong. I mean, what's good is very good for most people. And after all, that's who they're selling to. Most people certainly not the niche market. I, I get that. Because I heard, was I heard Adam say on his show, I can't understand why anyone would buy a twelve-inch MacBook. And I'm thinking, yeah, for us pros, I guess that makes some sense. Except for the fact that I have one, Alison Sheridan has one, and a whole bunch of nerds I know have them too because they're amazing mm-hmm. machines. And. Uh, I couldn't imagine telling anyone in my family to buy a MacBook Pro. You exactly. Know, I, I can imagine people in work needing a MacBook Pro, and I can imagine I can I know a lot of people who need a MacBook Pro, but I know so many more people for whom the 12-inch MacBook is the perfect little computer, and who the middle-range iMac is the perfect Mac. You know, right? It's, I, I think. Well, like for me, it's like I bought my MacBook Pro, the one I have right now. I think I bought it in July of this year because I had to because of the record. I yeah. wish they would have sold me today's MacBook Pro 13 Escape Key, you know, the, the non-touch <laughs> yes, bar yes, one. Yes. I wish that machine would have been out in July. It, it, it's, it's a better machine than the one I just bought for no, not that much more money. So that, that's one of my big gripes, I think. 
Um, should also say Apple discontinued the 11-inch MacBook Air. So if you want a small... Ooh. No, not Ooh. It's an awful machine. Yeah. I, I disagree with you completely. Okay, I have a screen thing, right? I cannot stand the machine that makes me feel like I'm boxed into a teeny tiny room. I get claustrophobic uh, on, on low-resolution no screens. That, that machine that I've had since 2011 is still going strong in the family, and it's still used every single day. Cracking little machine. There you go. Uh, you know, the other big one, the 12-inch but... MacBook, like that, the 12-inch is the obvious replacement for that 11-inch Air. But, but, but don't you think that 12-inch was really overpriced? I mean, isn't the thing almost two grand? No, 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 no. If no, it no, was, no, I wouldn't no, own it. 12, it's no, tw- no. It's tw- in the UK, it's 1,200 pounds. Oh, okay. Okay, so, so 1,400 US. Victor, okay. it's within $40, sorry, within 40 euro of the equivalent of the Dell Ultra Portable, which is the only reason I have okay. this machine, because this machine was bought for me by work. And if it had been more expensive I, than the Dell I te- XPS, I would not have it. I tell you what surprised me, Bart, is the fact that, and, and it's probably because they're trying to clear out stock. Is what they got rid of the eleven-inch air? Mm. Well, get rid of the thirteen-inch air as well. Mm. I don't understand the thirteen-inch air's raison d'être. It's a non-retina screen. Ugh. If you want a retina screen, there's a thirteen-inch MacBook Pro sitting there. If you don't, you know, if you want something a little bit smaller, there's a twelve-inch MacBook. What is the thirteen-inch MacBook Air for? <laughs> Yeah, I agree. Yeah, they've, 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 they've still got stock. That, that is the only reasonable explanation I can come up with, actually, to be honest. Yeah. But yeah, um, that's Tim Cook's Apple. Though You know, it's like yes, if people yes, will still buy it, yes. we'll still stock it. What the hell? Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know the, the one thing, though, for 13-inch MacBook Pro, people that are looking at that, I think, Bart, you mentioned it. It will only drive one 5K external monitor, yeah. not two. So that that's an important thing to re- keep in mind. Okay. Um, the devil's in the details with, with the 13-inch. That's all I'm saying. Mm, yeah, because it is a, a compromised device because it's trying to be a little brother to the big 15-inch, which is a real model, and they've had to take some things out to make it be 13 inches. Yeah, maybe that's what it was. Okay. Because I, I, I was scratching my head about it. I'm like, if it's really just a little brother, then it should just be a little brother. But they really... Um, they really cut into some major, major things, I thought. Uh, again, that one is really pro-ish. Yeah. But I've always felt that about the 13-inch laptops. They've always felt to me to be the little brother of the bigger ones. The bigger ones seem to be the ones Apple put their effort into. And then they say, okay, now we have this model. Now, how do we lose two inches? And what yeah. do we give up? That 13-inch screen is so sexy, though. I, I got to tell it? you, it was. I had, yeah, I had to buy a 15-inch this last time. And going back to that, I mean, I felt like an animal, you know, compared to the 13-inch, really. So I, I wish they, I wish that compromise wasn't there. I have to say, actually, so I went from a 13-inch MacBook Pro from now, it's a 2011, I think, my 13-inch MacBook Pro. So quite an old MacBook Pro to the 12-inch MacBook. And although the screen is physically smaller, it has so many more pixels. So the 12-inch screen feels bigger, even though it is an inch smaller. Mm. So, and I don't know if we have time, Bart. You're, you're running out. What What do we all think about this? You know, stopping the monitor business and saying, "Okay, LG, go ahead and make the ugliest thing you possibly can, and and we'll sell that as our 5K monitor." I have never been able to justify to myself the price of an Apple monitor. As far as I'm concerned, Apple are still making the best monitors in the world. They're called IMAX. Well, I agree. But do you think now that they've given permission to LG? To now that they're wanting thirteen hundred dollars for this five K monitor, 
And boy, I bet if that deal wasn't in place for it to be matched up with these MacBook Pros, that would be an $800 LG monitor. You think? Eh, maybe that's an, again, I'm, I'm kind of in a pessimistic point, I guess. Uh, I don't know. You may well be right. I have. Because there's some beautiful LG monitors, 4K LG monitors out there from 600 to an $800 price range. Very, very it's, nice monitor. It's a market they don't want to get into. That's it. No, and I get it. But did they just get permission for LG to say, oh, yeah, thank you. We'll take the Apple tax. Thanks. <laughs> I guess maybe. But I, I prefer Apple to do that than to do a half, you know, half-assed job themselves. For sure. Okay. Um. Anyone have any other thoughts on the Hello Again event? Um, I think it was more hello rather than hello again. Yes. Okay. They, I mean, they did tell us that it was a million times quicker than the first laptop they ever released. <laughs> or whatever that well, number was. It was a stupidly big right. number anyway. <laughs> to put it in uh, Steve Jobs' terms, the Mac Pro is no truck. It's not even a compact pickup in my book. <laughs> is it a station wagon? Oh, sure. It's a really nice Mercedes station wagon. Yep. <laughs> Very good. Nice analogy. Okay, before we finish up the show, I just have uh, three little quick stories to mention. Um, the third generation Apple TV has been quietly killed. Um, so if you buy an Apple TV from today on, well, from last week onwards, it will be capable of running apps. So you will be in the brave new world. Apple have released portrait mode for the Photos app. It's now out of private beta and into public beta so anyone who has an iphone 7 plus if you update the latest ios you will now have the ability to take these cool portrait modes um it is still officially a beta feature but you will now have it in your dirty little hands and have fun with it super fun super fun yeah and finally apple have delayed shipment of the much sought after airpods because they say they're not quite ready to ship yet and they don't want to ship out stuff that's not quite ready which i I guess is reasonable but I could I'm, hear, I'm hearing I'm hearing as late as January 2017. Yeah. Okay. I I could swear that I saw somebody at the start of the Apple event with a pair of AirPods in. Oh, I'm sure they were. Yeah. Yeah. There's got to be you lots like, of Apple employees with them in yeah, to test yeah. it, right? I wonder if it was actually working. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I mean, I, I'm not sure if the issue, I mean, with these kind of things, the issue is probably not with the design. It's probably with the manufacturing. Yes, yeah, some supply. There's got to be a supply issue there. there there's yeah. something which they're not getting the yield on they need. You know, maybe they're good for them percent in the bin or something. Yeah, good for them for delaying it if it's not ready to be, to be sold. Good for them. Yeah, because I don't want it catching fire in my ear. That would... <laughs> oh, God. No, no, you <laughs> I would knock it out well. No. Okay, well, that rounds us out for this month's Apple News. Um, thank you very much to all of my panel. Um, Victor, you are currently between podcasts. Is there anything you want to tell the listeners about your upcoming plans? I am. I am. I, I have shut down uh, Terra Tech. It was a lot of fun, great hosts, but I've shut that down, and I'm about to start a new podcast with Kelly Gamont, who is an incredibly brilliant woman who is a super nerd. She makes me look like nothing. So her and I are going to do something really unique, 30-minute format, time-bound in a very interesting way, and it's going to be very, very nerdy. Not just computers, all things nerd. So look for it. Look for me on Twitter, at Victor Cahiao, and I'm sure Kelly will also be pimping it out there. It's going to be a fun little show. So look for it in the next month or so. Excellent. Well, 
Um, it, yeah, I'll certainly I'll actually give you an exclusive. I'll actually give an exclusive. Ooh. It's going to be called Three Nerd Things. Three Nerd Things. Okay. Yep. Sounds good. No, I'm looking forward to it, Victor. Um, as I was a big fan of Terratech, but you know, all good things come to an end, and so I'm looking forward to what you do next. Thank you. Uh, Gaz, do you want to plug your show right here on the MyMac Network? Uh, well, yeah, I, I should really save them from, you know, listening to our show, really. No. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you can find myself with Guy over at MyMac, um, MyMac.com, uh, and we do the MyMac podcast, which has some relationship in a sort of way. Do you know what I was thinking when I was watching the Touch Bar demo? Yes. It would be great to have soundboard up there and then Guy could annoy everyone all the time with any sound effects. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> I'll tell him that. Yes, yes. So, I mean, uh, if the soundboard um, app don't use that space, they're, they're, they're missing a trick. <laughs> yeah, but they won't. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's a long story. We won't go down that route. Oh, oh, and Bart, I want to say one more thing just for the record. Okay. Tonight is Game 7 of the World Series and the Cubs are finally going to end the curse. Take my word for it. This is the night the Cubs win the World Series after a 108-year absence. As a non-American, I didn't understand any of that. What's is that Chicago Cubs? Okay. Cubs? So Chicago that... Cubs, Chicago oh, Cubs, yes. have, I, had not, I went had to not see played. them. Oh, that, yeah. They had not played in a World Series since 1945. 45? So now they have. Oh, yes. Oh, okay. yes. And, and the opposing team, the Indians, good for them too, they have not won a World Series since 1948. However, the Cubs have not won a World Series since 1908. And yeah, it's, because, it's because of a curse that was put on them by a guy who could not get into the park with a goat. Go look it up on Google. It's a very okay. interesting story. That curse must be broken. Okay, well, we shall see. What sport are we talking about, by the way? I'm terrible. This is Major Come League on. Baseball. Major <laughs> League Baseball. Okay. That's the one with the, with the little ball and the big stick. <laughs> little ball, big stick. Yeah, just like, you know, Theodore Roosevelt. Oh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, thanks, guys. Um, I should say that Linda was also with us for most of the show. You can find Linda on Twitter at, at LLG4CDG. Um, and uh, I've been your host, Bart Bush. Oh, actually, I'm supposed to plug all the bits for the show, haven't I? Um, if you'd like to support the show, there are lots of ways of doing so. You'll find detailed show notes with all the stories that informed our discussion today over at lets-talk.ie. Uh, when you go there, you'll find, as well as the lovely show notes, will be large blue buttons in the left sidebar with the heading support the show. I would very much appreciate it if people would support the show. Um, the main ways of doing that are through setting up a Patreon donation, through a direct PayPal donation, or through our Zazzle store where you can buy merchandise with our logo on it. And therefore, we get a kickback from you actually purchasing the thing, you get a thing, and then whenever you use the thing, you're a walking advertisement for the show. So it's sort of a win-win, that one. Uh, a big thank you to everyone who already supports the show on Patreon. You guys' continued support is what makes it possible for this show to keep existing. Because every month I know there is Patreon money coming in, which I can match against all the bills that are also coming in at the end of the month. And it is so pleasant to be able to pour the money from one into the other and have them almost match up. We're getting quite close to breaking even, which is what I've always been hoping to do as a podcaster. So thank you to everyone who supports the show. And uh, you'll find out more at lets-talk.ie. Okay, well, I've been your host, Bart Bouchot. So you can find me at bartb.ie. And until next time, happy computing.
You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. It's autumn. No, no, Gaz, it's no, no, fall. No, no, that wasn't, no, 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 that was, it's got to be quicker than that. Okay. It's autumn. Gaz, no, 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 no. It's fall 2016. And they're still going. In spite of whether you like it or not. The G-Men on the MyMac.com podcast. Color order. No, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I think you could probably edit those a bit closer and edit that out. But that doesn't make any sense leaving that color order. Color order. <laughs> well, I, I, I just think that it goes along with the show. Okay. <laughs> no, keep people guessing. Saying, everybody will be saying, what's that bit at the end? <laughs> They'll be saying, did you listen to the last MyMac.com podcast? Color. <laughs> 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 